Guys from Podcast, just two guys answering the internet's questions. I'm Sean Cordingly. And I'm David R. Smith. Today's question comes to us from Dan, who has asked us to do our Guys from 10 Novels. That's such a different list for us. It's nice. <laughs> it is. It is really nice. It's just, we do spend so much time talking about TV and movie, mostly movies, but some mostly TV movies. and some games and, and you know... Um, a lot of our music stuff happens in the articles because we can actually link to music, whereas we can't play music here without getting the rights. Yeah, exactly. So we can't do a lot of music-related things on the podcast, even though we would like to, but novels and books is not something that we delve into often, but we are both totally into it because Sean and I are both pretty big readers. Yeah, we are. Although, like as we've talked about during every What We Are Up To... Just because of the nature of my work, I don't read as much as I used to or would like to, but it's just, it's so hard when you edit code or edit or you're writing copy for hours and hours and hours and editing it to then when you stop, be like, I'm now going to read something else. Eh. Yeah. Well, and I I feel the same way. Like, I'm going to, behind the curtain and little foreshadowing for our what we're up to when that comes out at the beginning of next month. I, spoiler, there's going to be some plays on there because I've read a bunch of plays recently because that's what I do is I read scripts and I read plays. And so instead of, instead of reading a bunch of novels, that's what I've been up to. Um, so it's just not, I, I don't read novels or, you know, books as much as I used to, but that's not to say I don't love reading. I've, I've started, man, I started reading. I was like four and a half years old. I loved reading. Yeah, me too. Started very young been reading yeah since (laughs) yeah like when i was when i was growing up would be we our our bedtime would be nine but we could read till 9 30 right and you know i was like hell yeah a that means i get to stay awake longer but also that means i get to read and so i would read and read and sometimes i would read till 10 o'clock just because i was in an into a really good book and sure it's just it's funny how that happens and you just lose track of time and it still happens to me i'll be reading a book and if i've got 50 pages left in my book it doesn't matter what time of night it is i'm gonna plow through that thing because i'm so close to the end and i just want to know what's happening yeah that's totally fair i do the same thing mm-hmm. it's like yeah. oh, i've got an hour three hours later crap <laughs> exactly yeah that happened to me that happens to me with some some regularity i think so but i appreciate that that dan condensed this or gave us some parameters by saying novels yes that is... way we're not Doing nonfiction or yeah. plays, because plays could also we could do our top ten plays. Oh, easily, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So, so this just kind of gave us a little bit less to have to choose from. And is anybody who's been listening to uh, the guys from podcast in the last ever know that I, you know, recently have been <laughs> reading a lot of nonfiction, which is weird for me, but also kind of depressing because a lot of the ones are not necessarily tales that are happy so yeah no um, it's dave likes being sad apparently Uh, (laughs) you do it through reading i do it through music if we learned anything from debut albums right exactly plug 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 (laughs) um yeah so that's uh that's something i'm gonna try and fix with my next book i'm gonna try and find like a happier subject so I, I don't know what that's going to be yet. I'm looking around at all my books going, God damn it, there's not a lot of happiness on my bookshelves <laughs> right now. But uh, I'll oh. find something. It'll be fine. Well, 
And I also appreciate the parameters because if it wasn't novels, if it was just fiction, then it's like, oh, God, do I include comics? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, do I include manga? Because uh, anyone yeah. who's listened to our year in reviews the last two years, my favorite book of the year was a manga series. Mm-hmm. So it's like, are yeah. those, do those count? And for and because Dan was like, novels... They don't. Yeah. Meaning yeah. I'll do top 10 manga some other time. Probably not with Dave. But... <laughs> I was going to say that that doesn't seem like one that we'll be doing together. That sounds like either, I don't know if Jeremy reads manga, but either a Jeremy uh, yeah, one. Does. Okay. Or, or an, an article. But either way, it's just like, yeah, not necessarily a Davey one. So. Yeah. Nope. No, yeah. not really. <laughs> uh, so. Because I own the heaviest book out of the two of us, and it was not close, I get to go first. No, no it, it was not. Yeah. <laughs> for a uh, quick side note, for anyone who has seen the complete collection of Big Damn Sin City, that thing is a behemoth. Yeah. Like, I'm looking at my bookshelf, and I've got a few heavy-ish books, but compared oh, to yeah. that thing, it is, it is, like, these things are featherweight. So it's, it's like you need a, a reading desk for it. It's yeah, exactly. terrifyingly yeah. heavy. <laughs> yeah. Also a great book, but I don't get to talk about it because we're not talking about comic books and graphic novels, just novels, which means I'm going to start by talking about the Blood Skies series by Stephen Montano. All right. That's uh, a uh, throwing this in honorable mentions because uh, Stephen Montano is like an indie author. Okay. Who e-releases or e-released a whole bunch of his stuff like i got the first book which was called the blood skies free on kindle and it was like it was just like here i'm a brand new author and starting out this it's a a dark military fantasy series i don't want to spoil anything for people who might be interested in it because i know this is a very very lesser known series (laughs) as far as fantasy series go but essentially there is a cataclysm wherein the world gets horrifyingly overrun by mostly horror monsters with the Mm -hmm. key like faction being vampires okay and so humanity has kind of allied itself into this very very difficult and small place so it's set on Earth, but Earth has dramatically changed because now it's mostly run by vampires, and there's a small pocket of humans left. Oh. And so, and it, it's a military fantasy, so it's it's not so much, it's not Lord of the Ringsy so much as you get down into the battles, and like, oh, they're, like a battle train bursts through the line, so then they have to deal with that sort of situation, and it's very, very dark, and it's, things do not go well for characters uh, usually at all, ever. Mm-hmm. But it is, it's a very engaging series, and I quite like it, and it's very well written. It's one of my favorite, well, as far as this list goes, it is my favorite indie author that I have found so far. So I wanted to give him a shout-out on our list. Cool. That's the Blood Skies series. It's available, you can look up the Blood Skies. Uh, easiest way to find it is on Kindle. Um, I'm not sure if he started printing them or not, Primarily because I have been so happy reading them on my Kindle or slash iPad. So nice. So yeah, right. that is my first honorable mention. Cool. My first honorable mention is The Giver by Lois Lowry. 
Oh yeah, uh, I remember reading that in school. Yeah, it came out in 93, so like I would have been 10 years old when it came out. I didn't realize that it was that, like it came out right around the time that it, that I read it. I just assumed even back then that it had been out for a while because everybody seemed to read it. Ah, um, gotcha. But for those who haven't read it or haven't seen the the movie that came out uh, like 40 years ago, um, The Giver is basically, it takes place in what appears to be like a utopian society, but it actually throughout the book is kind of revealed to be a dystopian society. Um, <gasps> Spoilers! <laughs> my bad. That is, that is my bad. Basically, it's a, it's a society where everybody is assigned jobs. It's kind of like Futurama yep. in that aspect, where everybody just, you gotta do what you gotta do. You're, you're given yep. a, a job and that's what you do. Exactly. Um, Monday Monkey lives for the weekend, Dave. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and so basically you get the, everybody gets these jobs and some are nurses and some are doctors and teachers and blah, 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 blah. But Jonas is kind of deemed special. And so he gets, basically Jonas gets to be the person in the entire community or world that has to endure the pain of knowing all the memories of society. Because basically other people are not, they do not have memories of past history um, right. there's only one person who has that and that is the giver. And so he can kind of be called in as a, as, as the voice of reason, if there's disputes or anything like that. And because he's getting on there in years, they need somebody else to, to take over. So basically the giver gives all these memories to Jonas and it's just like, it's, it's, that is a hell of a burden to put on a like roughly 12 year old. So yeah. it's a really touching, touching story. I don't, it's been a long time since I've read it. Like I don't, I don't think I've read it since probably grade six. So that's why it's on my honorable mention because it was one that I remember being very impactful when I was a kid, but not necessarily one that, you know, it's it's not like uh, it wouldn't be in my top ten. It just seemed like a good a good place to talk about it as an honorable mention. One of the ones that kind of really got me into reading. So, oh, fair enough. Yeah. So that's The Giver by Lois Lowry. My next honorable mention is very much the same thing, though for completely different reasons, I suppose. But it was a book that I read tons when I was younger. And I haven't picked it up a lot recently, but perhaps I should. And that is Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. Nice. My second favorite movie of all time is based on this book. The book is fantastic, and it's so good as a book and as a movie that you can appreciate both for completely different reasons. Right. I love yeah. Jurassic Park, the book. I love Ralph, the baby Triceratops. I like the fact that the ages of the kids are switched as well. So right. it's an older brother, younger sister. Uh, mm-hmm. It it gets a little dark. And it's also Michael Crichton, which means it gets real science-y for a few sections. <laughs> it sure does. Uh, but I read... How old... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. How old were you when you read it? Nine, probably. Okay. Yeah. Because it was a little I, I bit it, complicated for me when I when the movie came out. Because the movie came out when I was seven or eight. Right. But I was reading yeah. adult novels before I was ten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, probably probably eight or nine. I'll what what will probably yeah. happen is I'll get a text message from my mom after she <laughs> listens to this, and she'll be like, "Actually, you were this old," and be like, "Great." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's kind of what I was thinking, too, because I remember reading it just after the movie came out, but yeah. 
I still even even still found that a little sciencey. So the sciencey parts are just like, oh, that is I don't understand what's going on there, but everything else I really loved. So, That's fair. And Michael yeah. Crichton, I read as I was growing up. I read every book he wrote. Oh, okay, like I've, I've read all of them. And I own most of them still, too. This is the only one to make my list, spoilers, I guess, as we head up, because uh, it has always been my favorite. But there are some also very good other books in there, and I feel like Jurassic Park was the one that got me into reading his work. So, sure. And for that, yeah. I really appreciate it. So that's Jurassic Park, my number 11. Cool. Uh, my second honorable mention is Fahrenheit. Yep, Fahrenheit! is Fahrenheit 451 uh, by Ray Bradbury. Um, uh, speaking about books, Dave wants to read about burning them. Sweet, sweet <laughs> burning them. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, for for those who are unfamiliar with the title, uh, or who are unfamiliar with why it's called Fahrenheit 451, because that is the temperature of which books burn. So yep. that's a fun little fact. Um I believe, and Sean, you might know this better than I do, but I believe this was written kind of in response to the book burnings of, um, like, not just necessarily the Nazis burning books, but just burning books in general, and just like, essentially, it's 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 in a it, different world where reading is now outlawed and it is illegal to own books, and if there are firefighters in the firemen, I guess in the in these worlds. Right. But they do not fight fires, they start fires, and those fires are books. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. It, Bradbury essentially wrote it to talk about how mass media reduces the interest in reading literature and the homogenization of culture in the 50s, especially in America, and the right. threat of the other. Because you're also in the communist time and all of that, so there were there are movements, especially like in heavy conservative movements, to burn books that were mm-hmm. deemed un-American or unsavory or not family anything that was really different and outside of that was essentially yeah. so that's what it's essentially a yeah. Acor- yeah according to the wiki uh Bradbury stated that he wrote Fahrenheit 451 because of his concerns at the time bracket during the McCarthy area the McCarthy era about the threat of book burning in the United States. In later years, he described the book as a commentary on how mass media reduces interest in reading literature. So it seems like I was fairly accurate. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty spot on. Um, yeah, pretty apt and pretty, uh, pretty, pretty spot on, Ray Bradbury. Um, kind of terrifying. Like it's it's weird how like books like that in 1984. Which, incidentally, spoilers are not on either of Sean's or my list. Um, right. Are very like George Orwell wrote 1984 in 1948. That is a pretty shockingly accurate portrayal of what happened in the future. It's it's pretty scary how these guys can kind of see these things coming from a mile away. It's uh, yeah. Well, if you want to learn more about that sort of stuff, read some William Gibson. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, the cyberpunk stuff by William Gibson that he wrote in like the 60s and such. Sure sounds like tomorrow. Oh, good. Super. Some of it, Exciting. at least. Yeah. Um, also, before you wrap up Fahrenheit 451, are you at yeah. all intrigued by the fact that HBO is going to release a film this year? Yes, very much so. Good. Cool. That's 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 good to know. 
yeah, I will uh, it'll an be like an HBO it. original or whatever. So an HBO film, but still, yeah. I bet you it'll be pretty damn good. I would hope so. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. So yeah, that is uh, Fahrenheit four five one. That is my second honorable mention by Ray Bradbury. On to the well, guys from ten. All twelve is the real list, I guess. But into the top mm-hmm. ten. Just a quick little pause here. So I just googled the the Fahrenheit four five one uh, production or movie. Uh, it stars Michael B. Jordan and Michael Shannon and Sophia Boutella. And interesting, it that's a that's a pretty good group of people. So cool, even better now. <laughs> what you were worried it was like Polly Shore? Like no, what? I was just I was just curious. So I'm just really I, I think that's a really cool cast. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Sorry. On to the guys from top ten ten. <laughs> you added another top in there, but I'm just gonna keep talking and say <laughs> my number ten is the song of ice and fire. Hey uh, Dave, what's the song of ice and fire? Uh, is it a song about ice and fire? Kind of. It's by George R. R. Martin. It is colloquially known oh. as the Game of Thrones. <laughs> the book uh-huh. series is a the book series is a Song of Ice and Fire. That's what it was okay. before they. But Game of Thrones, which is the first book, and then that's the name of the series as well, because it it okay. fits through the whole thing. Do I need to describe Game of Thrones? Probably to no one other than Dave. But well, and even I have a vague idea of it. Sure. Yeah. If you've never read the books, if you like the series, the books are wonderful. Uh, They are a little bit overcomplicated in some places. There are hundreds more characters than there are in the series. Um, They have made a valiant effort to combine some of the characters from the books into one person, which is pretty effective. Um, But he is one of the best at writing descriptions. Like when you oh, okay. read a feast, he'll describe a feast and what they're eating and what they're drinking and that sort of stuff. And you really get a sense of it because he is so cool. in depth. And you like the, he paints a very good mental picture with the way he writes because the detail is so lush. So if you have seen it and you like the story, read the books most, I am assuming, are already reading the books. And Dave, maybe you should read a book. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have the first one somewhere. I don't know which box of books it's in. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I have it somewhere. And I started reading it, but then, like, it it was one of those ones. Like, there was a lot of names, and it was just... I think once... If I would have gotten over the hump, then I would have really started charging through it. But it was just... It was hard to really get into it. That's... That's fair, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, mm. it will be one that I will eventually tackle again because I do know that everybody loves it and everybody who has read it loves the book and I know I should just get on the Game of Thrones train at some point. Probably a good idea. So. You're going to like it. And that's why we keep saying it is because know. we know you're going to like it. I know. Well, and that's the problem is I know I'm going to like it. And so... It's just one more fucking thing that I have to watch and read. I'm just like, oh, God. Ah, I'm trying to watch Best Picture movies. I'm trying to play video games. I'm trying to watch Netflix shows. I'm trying to watch Jeopardy. There's just a lot of things to watch. <laughs> I'm surprised when you're watching Jeopardy, there's not Game of Thrones categories. Then you oh, can't sure get any of them. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there have been. I just Those are the ones I'm like, well, I'm not going to get any of these. Uh, anyway, my number 10. 
Peter Dinklage. A song of Ice and Fire. George My R. number R. 10 is higher on Sean's list. So back to Sean. Yeah, we're going to talk about it right now. My number nine is The Shining by Stephen yeah. King. It's the Shining. so good. It's a great book. It's a great book. Different I... than the movie. If all yeah. you've ever done is seen The Shining, yeah. you can read The Shining and you will find it to be very, very different. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and different. I, I I loved the movie. Sorry, what was that? I was talking over you. Oh, no, that's fine. I was... I'm just... I don't want to make it seem like it's completely not the same. Because, like, no. there are obviously a whole bunch of things that are very similar to it. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like Jack isn't in it. He's still an aspiring writer. He's still a recovering alcoholic. They're still at the no Overlook. Play, still make Jack a doll boy. Yeah. Like, all of yeah. that stuff still happens. But there's, like, hedge monsters and... yeah there's so much so much yeah so basically instead of the hedge maze there's hedge monsters so i mean like there are similarities even in the differences but it's in it's enough that because i i had seen the shining 10 times before i read the book if not more and then i read the book i was like damn that is different it is but it's the same kind of satisfying as jurassic park book and movie where yes. the movie's great and the book's great and they're great for completely different reasons. So mm-hmm. you can appreciate both for what they are. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, and I loved them both. Uh, and, and I'm really glad that I have The Shining and that I've read it and I will definitely at some point read it again because it's just that good. It's just, yeah. it's it's worth it. Um, it's a great read. And so. it, if you're worried at all about having the ending spoiled by the... The, the movie it's not even close yeah don't don't worry about it at all i was you have no idea what's coming <laughs> yeah i was i was shocked at how different the book ending was yeah it was it, yeah so i was just like well i'm gonna know oh okay i didn't <laughs> know that at all all right well that's nope. good to know yeah completely different um Oh, there was something else. Oh, and Stephen King, correct? Uh, Stephen King did not care for the Stanley Kubrick version of The Shining, right? No, he does not like the movie because it changed so much. Yeah. So there's an indication of how different it is. Is like I think Stephen King even made a little mini series of The Shining because he wanted to to make have a movie that was closer to The Shining than the book was, or than the than the the Kubrick movie. Which I, I get, but nobody remembers that that thing even exists because everybody remembers the, the Stanley Kubrick film. Technically, Stephen King didn't make it, but he was brought in to closely monitor it to make sure it followed the novel. I see. Okay. Uh, right. Which was in 1997, I believe. Yeah. So like so, 17 years after they made the original? Yes. Something like that. So yeah. Enough time had passed, but like, I have you ever seen the that that version? Yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, it, it like it does. It does definitely follow the novel a lot closer. Mm-hmm. And like Stephen King wrote the series, right, to adapt his own novel. So it's very very close. It's just the performances aren't as good, and the design is not as good, and it's not shot as well because it's a television miniseries and not a Stanley Kubrick film. Right, exactly. Starring Jack Nicholson. Yeah. So. And Shelley Duvall. Yeah. 
Say what you will about well, Shelley Duvall, but like she fits what she does there pretty damn well. It's true. I, so, I don't love her performance, but I don't despise it as much as, say, Derek. Yeah. 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 I definitely did notice complete tangent to at the dark half, T-H-E underscore dark half on Instagram. But I totally noticed you tagged Derek in that uh, meme I posted about holding a bat. Yeah. <laughs> I had to. I saw that. And I was just like, well, Derek will appreciate this. Yeah. So and we're not, wants- not going to describe it to you. We're going to make you go to the dark half. Plug, plug, plug. Shameless exactly. plug, plug, plug. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, uh, so, so that's, that's my number nine. Dave's number ten. My the Shining 10. by Stephen King. Yeah. yeah. My number nine is The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Oh, okay, sure. I... <sighs> I'm trying to do this thing where I read some modern novels and then I read, like, kind of go back through the classics. And a number of years ago, I ended up reading Huck Finn. And then I I, I read Tom Sawyer as well. And I didn't love Tom Sawyer as much as I loved Huck Finn just because I thought Huck Finn was better written. And I think if Mark Twain was alive today, he would probably feel the same way. I I just think he liked exploring those characters better. Sure. Uh, It's Huck Finn. It's an American classic. It's about... Huck and his pal Jim who are going down the river and the kind of the hijinks that they get into and it's basically it's told from Huck's point of view and it's just he's kind of a troublemaker and kind of a mischief maker and he just he he gets into into situations and you read about him getting out of them and how he gets into them and the people that he deals with and like the, the encounters that he has it's funny it's charming it's Americana it's it's a classic. I don't know yeah. what else I can say about it. Um, yeah, I, I have nothing to add to that. It's yeah. been a long time since I've read it as well. well that, that was definitely is, like a middle school read. Oh, okay. Yeah, I read it like significantly more recent than that. But at <laughs> the same time, I've read a lot since then. So I can't remember I can't remember which was Tom Sawyer and which was Huck Finn. So I can't really talk about it without like completely Googling the Coles notes. But sure. I just I know that that's the one that they've been trying to change the name of Jim, and I'm not going to say his name on here, but it's one of those one of those situations where it's like, well, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't use that term in the book. I'm like, yeah, but that's a part of the book. That's a part of the art. That was like, it's the same. It would be the same as uh, changing a bunch of Looney Tunes cartoons because they were racist when they were written in, when they were produced in the '50s. Like. You don't necessarily have to change the thing. You just have to use it as an educational tool and say, this is how people f- spoke in the day. Don't talk like that. Yeah. So I, 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 I will be one of those people who will defend this book and other books that, you know, have derogatory language in them because it was, well, if they were written 150 years ago, if somebody's thrown down an N-word now just because they're trying to be controversial, maybe not so much, but... At sure, that time, yeah. nobody like nobody knew any better. So anyway, so yeah, my number nine, uh, the adventures adventures of Huckleberry Finn by uh, Mark Twain. My number eight mm-hmm. is a Canticle for Leibowitz by Walter M. Miller Jr. Okay, have you even heard of this? I have not. Okay, this is one of the most important and best post-apocalyptic science fiction novels ever written. 
Oh, it okay. It was published in 1960. It is... It's like three novellas together. Okay. But it's not. Like, it's a novel. It's just the novel is told in three separate parts. Fiat Homo, Homo Fiat Lux, and uh, Fiat Voltanus Tua. Which, so, let there be man, let there be light, and let there, thy will be done. Okay. I am very familiar with Fiat Lux because apparently that is the Latin motto of the University of Lethbridge. So I see it literally every day as I walk to work. <laughs> well, well, there you go. See, but they don't so use Gaelic there. like a real university. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is a classic, and it's absolutely brilliant. I have recommended okay. this to a lot of people, and Dave, now that I know you haven't read it, I recommend it to you as well. Uh, okay. I got our friend TJ to read it. A bunch of our other friends and my other friends have read it now, mostly because of me. Some had before. It won the 1961 Hugo as the best science fiction novel of the year. It's... What's the best way for me to describe this? It's... So it takes place in the three parts, like I said. We, in the tw- at the end of like the 20th century, beginning of the 21st century, the world is destroyed by global nuclear war. Okay. Um, which we essentially called the flame deluge in the future. Okay. Isaac Edward Leibowitz was a Jewish electrical engineer working for the U.S. military who survived the war and dedicated himself to hiding books and, like, memorizing and copying them. So by the 26th century, there is an order of monks known as the Albertians who are continuing to do it. So in the 26th century, we're back in the Dark Ages, and the saint, the bringer of knowledge, is Leibowitz, this man who protected knowledge through history. So the first part takes place where it's within the monastic order. So it's like a novice who is on his vigil. Then years later, the abbey is visited by God's advocate and the devil's advocate, which are church investigators, to look into sainthood for Leibowitz. Then there's they're developing the knowledge, so they're developing Bible, there's a new pope, all of this sort of stuff. So that's the first section. Okay. Fiat, Fiat Lux takes place in 3174, and the Albertians have now gotten through and are pushing to end the age of simplification and to bring in the new renaissance, which means bringing electricity back. Okay. 3781, which is Fiat Voltanus Tua, Let Thy Will Be Done, we're back to where we were at the end of the 20th, 21st, if not farther, because now we're having extra solar colonies and that sort of stuff. Right. And things are repeating themselves. Huh. Nuclear war is coming. Hmm. Huh. Sounds, sounds super happy. Well, yeah. Primarily, it's it's about the recurrence of history. Right. Like the yeah. cyclical nature, the, the pyrrhic nature of history, and church versus state. Okay. So, All right. yeah. That's a canticle that's... for Leibowitz. How do you spell Leibowitz? L-I-E-B-O-W-L-E-I-B-O-W-I-T-Z. So it's like, I got my E and my I mixed up. Okay. And who who's it by? Walter M. Miller, Jr., 
It should not be super difficult to find. I had absolutely no problem. It's available pretty much everywhere. It's been in print since 1960. So. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's weird. Like, one of those books. And I, I, I fancy myself a... Like, I, I do know enough about <laughs> novels. Like, I, you know, I've read a bunch, and I've just never heard of that one. Like, it just kind of flew under my radar. That, and that happens, right? And yeah. also, like, if you're not into science fiction, yeah, you might not have tracked this one as well as, like, I did, where it was like, okay, I'm going... There was a time when I went, okay, I'm going to look at the Hugo Award winners, and I'm going to see if I can get some of them. So I right. did, and that one that's was fair. great. Yeah, cool. All right. So that's <laughs> my number eight, A Canticle for Leibowitz by Walter M. Miller Jr. Terrific. My number eight is the Harry Potter series. So, but I mean, and, and with no shame, like I'm not ashamed of this at all. I love the Harry Potter books. The first time I read them, I devoured them. Okay. Uh, I... I remember I saw the first movie before I read any of the books. I was on my way up to my folks' place for Christmas, and that was the the movie on the bus. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll watch this. And it was it was good. I was like, oh, that was enjoyable enough. I'm, I, I've seen it now. Cool. And then that summer, the following summer, I ended up getting my wisdom teeth taken out. Okay. And a friend had suggested that, well, maybe you should you should read the Harry Potter books because they're pretty good and it'd be a good way to kill some time. I was like, okay. So I was pretty much out of commission for three or four days after getting my wisdom teeth out. And at that point, there were only four of the seven books out. And I crushed them because I had shit else to do and I just demolished them because I loved them. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, and so I just, I mean, if you don't know what Harry Potter is about, uh, welcome to Earth. It's 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 the wizarding world. Like it's you can't you can't throw a stone without hitting something that is Harry Potter related. You may not necessarily have read the books or have been really into the movies, but I mean it is such a part of our vernacular now that everybody knows what Harry Potter is about. So It's about a boy who's a wizard, so he goes to school to learn how to be a wizard. There's also bad guys. Yeah, exactly. That is as simplistic a way you can put it and I mean there's no other way that we need to talk about that if I had to pick one because Sean and I kind of discussed before you know whether we could put a series as one book or had to talk about you know the series as a whole right. uh, I would pick Prisoner of Azkaban which is the third one but oh, okay. really just the the series in general is my is it's really good and just fun to, to reread so yeah Harry Potter J.K. Rowling huh I have nothing to add. Never read yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know what obscure Swedish book I have read? <laughs> Just one? No, but one that made my list. Uh-huh. Uh, and by obscure, I mean obscure because Dave probably hasn't heard of it, and I don't feel like a lot of our listeners have heard of it, but The Long Ships by Franz G. Bankston was until like the girl with the dragon tattoo the most loaned book in Swedish library from 1945 on wow it is the best book about vikings i have ever read really do you like vikings read the long ships <laughs> okay i mean it makes sense that's, it's uh it's yeah. a good 
who doesn't want to read about Vikings? And that does make sense why that would be the title. Yeah, well, and it's and it's an adventure novel, so it's not like a a textbook, obviously, because we're not talking about those. It largely mm-hmm. takes place during the later Viking Age and political struggle within Europe. Andalusia under Almanzor, uh, Denmark under uh, Harold Bluetooth. Yes, that is why it's called Bluetooth, and that is the Bluetooth logo, Harold Bluetooth. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you knew that. Yeah. He, uh, if I remember correctly, he really liked berries. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, then also the the battle between Eric the Victorious and Sewen Forkbeard, England under Ethelred the Unready. I think you know how that goes. And then, yep. like, the the very end of it is the end of the Viking Age, which means, like, the Christianization of Scandinavia. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, what it is. It's just a sounds... big Viking adventure for, like, 400 pages. It's great. Awesome. It was written in the 40s. Cool. The Longships. Yep. Uh, or Red Orm, if you're looking in... O-R-M? Yes. The original Swedish would be Rodorm, which is a, oh, like okay. Red Serpent or Red okay. Snake. By who? Franz G. Bankston. B-E-N-G-T-S-S-O-N. Cool. All right. Uh, cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah, God. it's pretty great. The worst part about this is, like, I'm looking back at some of the other lists that I've done, and, like... Half the time, I'm just like, well, I'll write that on my list. I'm like, when the frig am I going to read these books? But, you know, whatever. Summer. Baby steps, I guess. Summer's coming. That is true. Yeah. And it's just, I, you're not, It's there's no nuclear holocaust. You you do need glasses, but, like, you have a pair or two. Mm-hmm. So, you're good. You have time. Great. Okay. Well, I'll keep that in mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> Didn't like my Twilight Zone reference? No? Burgess Meredith. Oh, is that? There's time yeah, now. No. Yeah, I get it now. Damn it. Shit, I should have got that. Sorry, <laughs> I was just thinking of something completely different. Um, that's Burgess <laughs> Meredith? Yes, it huh. was. Interesting. Didn't know that part. Cool. Wow, this is going to be a long one. My number seven is Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck. Okay. Is that... Is that technically a novel or a novella? Eh, whatever, it counts. Great, because it's real short, but my god, is it good. I, would, I wouldn't say that, because there was other ones that made my shortlist that I've also read in a day, so saying that I read this book in a day does not necessarily quantify the fact that it would be a novella or a novel, but it's just, it it's a short book, but my, I, I, I demol, another one that I just demolished. It's, it's about Lenny and... I, I I can't think about his name because all I want to do is call him Carl, and I know that's wrong. God damn it. <laughs> the Simpsons has ruined you, Dave. Right? God damn. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> George. George yeah, and That's their names. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, you know, kind of drifters who are just looking for work, and... They they end up kind of coming upon this work farm and they get some some time there, and um, George is kind of in charge of Lenny. Lenny's you know big and dumb and like he's he's a workhorse, but he's just doesn't have a lot of lot of brains. But he's just as as like he's just simple, right? And yeah, that's the best just, way to put it. Yeah, he's simple, 
Um, but just very loving, but almost to a fault. And, um, you know, and, and he just loves bunnies and, and just things that are soft that he can pet. And that's just, that is the nature of his simplicity is you just know that he just wants to love things and be gentle and he can't be gentle. And that is kind of his undoing. Yes. Um, it just, it just crushes you. The, it's, it's. You know, George is trying to, to handle Lenny, but at a certain point, like, Lenny is, I mean, he's so big and kind of, a, I don't want to say loose cannon, but he's just, he's hard to rein in. And as a result, George struggles with trying to be able to rein him in. And as a, as a result, things kind of go from bad to worse. And it just, yeah, it, it's tough. It's hard to read because at a certain point, it's just, you know, you know that things are going to not end well and you just feel really bad for everybody involved and, I don't want to get into why things aren't going to end end well. It just it happens. Um, yeah. But it's 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 the only Steinbeck I've ever read. But I've heard that the Grapes of Wrath is also very good. It is. Um, so I just haven't gotten to that one yet. But uh, that's it's so it's the only Steinbeck I've read. But what I what I read of it, I or what of uh, you know, I I really like that one. So it has made me want to read more of his. Anyway, it's it's a great read if you haven't read it. Like I said, I read it in about three hours, so it is. I would probably consider it a novella, but I like it so much I put it on here. But uh, yeah, so that's my number seven is of Mice and Men. Cool. Also a also, very fine film. What uh, the the old one? Like yeah. the, the one that came out in like the twenties or the thirties. Oh yeah, that's good too. Oh, <laughs> were you talking about the Gary Sinise John Malkovich one? Yeah. Yeah. Because I've seen that one and I loved it, but I also know that I have like the one from the twenties or the thirties on my PVR. So I like how you just assume I mean the obscure silent one. Well, no, I'm talking about Gary Sinise and John Malkovich. It's a fine <laughs> film. It is. It is a very good film. Also, I am ninety percent sure that the Abominable Snowman on the Looney Tunes cartoons 100%. is based on Lenny, right? He is. Yep, he is. One hundred percent. Okay, so. Like, the first, as soon as I, because I, you know, obviously I'd seen all the Looney Tunes cartoons before, and then I read that, I was like, oh, okay, well, I get that reference now. That's why every rabbit is going to be called George. Yeah, that, exactly. I'm going to love him and squeeze him, and he will be, yeah, I will call him George. Like, he, he just, as soon as I saw it, I was like, well, I get it now. So, yeah. Yeah. So if you've seen Looney Tunes and the Abominable Snowman, and you were wondering where that came from, read yourself some of my Sin Men. There you go. Okay, my number six, and you're right, this is seeming like it's going to be a longer one, is <laughs> Wizard of the Crow. All right. Uh, by, and sir, I apologize now if we're trying to pronounce your name, uh, Ngoye Waitiongo. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about. No, not even at all. Uh... It's by, he is a Kenyan author, one of the best Kenyan authors. Uh, And this is, it's from 2006. Okay. It's a magical realist fantasy novel set in an imaginary uh, autocracy called the Free Republic of Aburia, governed by just one guy. And it is... Man, I don't. It is so hard to describe. It is. It's Shakespearean in scope. There's okay. A, it's a journey without a destination where everything feels like it's improvised, but it's obviously not because it's written. <laughs> uh huh. 
It is broad strokes of caricatures. It's 800 pages of satire that's almost too dark and grim to be called satire, but at the same time, it's so good. It's ridiculously funny. It's fantastic. It's terrifyingly sad. And it gives you, it is written in a perspective and from a perspective that a standard Western audience will never read and does not read. Okay. So it's, it's really good. I definitely recommend it. Hmm. And I don't really want to say much more because a lot of the best parts of Wizard of the Crow is in the discovery of just like coming across random nonsense that just seems to happen. And you're like, oh, okay. And then you just keep moving. <laughs> All right. So it's Wizard of the Crow. How would one spell the author's name? N-G-U with a wiggly line on top of it. Yeah. G then an I with the same wiggly line. Okay. Uh, then space, W-A, mm-hmm. space, T-H-I-O-N-G, apostrophe, O. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is why I apologized to him for probably butchering his name. <laughs> but I'm sticking with, so my number six is Wizard of the Crow by Nguye Watiango. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good attempt at it. I, having never heard it, I hope it's not some horrible, like, <laughs> like I'm not cursing him in his own language, <laughs> but. Every time you say his name like that, he actually gets, like, chest pains. <laughs> oh, man, I hope not, because he's, like, 80. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, uh, well, then, yeah. Mind. No, Wizard of the Crow is his first novel in, like, 20 years because he was exiled and such because he does a lot of political satire so he was exiled and then he didn't write for a long time and this was his comeback and it was so good cool all right if anybody is listening and has listened to a lot of our top tens in the past you'll notice that there's similarities to the books and movies in the sense that sean has really obscure ones (laughs) and i don't <laughs> uh, my next one is of mice and men. Uh, mine is an obscure novel that won a Finnish fantasy uh, award, which Wizard of the Crow did, by a uh, Kenyan. <laughs> yeah. Um, my number six is Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, <laughs> like we go from Wizard of the Crow to Lord of the Rings. It's, but again, l- much like Harry Potter, this is one of those ones. I, I read Lord of the Rings after having seen the first two because, oh. yeah, I didn't know anything about Lord of the Rings. I, I knew it was a fantasy movie. I, I just figured it was like, oh, this isn't going to be something I enjoy. And I kept making fun of it. So finally around, and I think we talked about this recently, but, um, you know, around November, my friends in university finally made me sit down and watch Fellowship, and I was hooked instantly, and then went and saw the midnight showing of the Two Towers, but wanted to know what the hell happened, and so I read the books in the next semester slash through through the next summer, so that way, by the time Return of the King came out, I knew what was going to happen. So, I went from making fun of it to being a complete convert, basically within one movie, um, but uh-huh. the books are great. There's, I mean, there's, it's, it's very historical in the sense that it's Tolkien and does a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of description, a lot of history that comes along with it, but he, he does it very well. And this world that he's created is phenomenal. Um, sure. and yeah, there are some things like 
Tom Bombadil, yeah, I could probably do without that. It doesn't, it's not really that necessary, but it's part of the book and I really enjoyed it. But the further I get into the actual books, the more I enjoy them. Um, yeah. Yeah. So get rid of the exposition and just talk about what's happening right now. And I'm pretty happy. So um, I enjoyed the books. I really, obviously, because they're my number six, but not enough that I felt like I should put them in my top five. So yeah, that's, my number that's six fair. is Lord of the Rings. Although it is a little bit strange that you're like, get rid of all of the excess detail. I'm like, mm, that's most of the first book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fellowship <laughs> is, is a lot of Tom and then the Council of Elrond where they just tell stories about the Grey Witch. And I'm speaking as somebody who's read everything, <laughs> including the adventures yeah. of Tom Bobadil, the loose assortment of poems, and like the histories of Middle-earth and the Silmarillion and Unfinished Tales. Oh, I've read them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've read the sale? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've read everything. Yeah. Interesting. Because I read them way before the movies came out. Right, yeah, yeah. Like most people. Like, yeah. I, I, anybody who enjoys Lord of the Rings, kind of the franchise, I feel like most of them read the books before they saw the movies. I feel like I was probably in the minority there. Maybe, but well, again, if it, did you have somebody who was like trying to get you into sci-fi and fantasy when you were younger? No. Because I did. That's why I read yeah. them. No, exactly. So, um, yeah, yeah, it no. does. They don't make my list. Uh, I don't read them very much. I love the world, obviously, as I read all of them. But yeah, shortlisted. But I just I like some of the newer the stuff better. I guess. Fair. Yeah. No, that's that's totally fair. So yeah, Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, my number six. Awesome. This is super long so far. So our second half is brought to you by The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. J.D. Salinger's 1951 novel is a classic, famous for its themes of angst and alienation. Dave, what would you like to add? I don't want to add anything because I hate that book. Holden Caulfield, icon for Teenage Rebellion. Dave? Oh, God, he just doesn't do anything but whine. Novel was included in Time's 2005 list of the top 100 best English novels since 1923. Dave? Oh, God, how do people like this book? I don't get it. BBC's survey, The Big Read, it was listed as the 15th best English language novel. Dave? (laughs) He doesn't do anything. And we're back. And because Sean went first, I'm going to throw it right back to Sean. Awesome. I'm going to talk about Ring, my number five. It's the Ring Mm -hmm. series by Koji Suzuki. And if you know anything about The Ring or Ring You, and yes, I am talking about the horror movies with either Sadako or Samara, depending on which version you're watching, these are the books that those movies are based on. Yeah. Uh, There's not Um, a whole lot I can add to that. If you've seen them, essentially, there's a curse so if you watch a videotape, which is weird and mostly about, like, a well and some trees, uh, maybe a beach and some grass, and then seven days later, a ghost kills you. Yeah, that's that that's as best as you can describe it without spoiling it. Uh, yeah. I have read this one, loved it, just didn't make my short list. Well, it made my short list, it didn't make my top from, my, my guys from list. 
Um, Fair. And you've also only read Ring. You haven't read Spiral and Loop, which is the rest correct. of the trilogy. Yeah. 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 And so if I if I had read the full trilogy, it, it is possible that it might have climbed higher. I just haven't read the full series yet, so... No, oh, that's fair. Um, yeah, but They're yeah, very it's, good. it's great. They're very easy reads as well. And in, in a weird way, if you like the way I speak with my weird cadence, it's very much like reading Koji Suzuki. <laughs> because he takes strange pauses as well, and then there's an yeah. intricate sentence with an elaborate word, and then it stops. Yeah. So if you don't like the way Sean speaks... Well, don't don't read. You should well, be listening to the podcast, but also, <laughs> I'm sorry. Realized it at episode 211. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, I don't like the way these guys talk. So fuck these guys. I'm out. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's it's a great read. Um, obviously, I read it because Sean had suggested it. But it yeah. is definitely on, still on my like. I was going through part of it. I was I, I went through when we were when we were prepping for this. I went through a bunch of old lists or a bunch of lists of like some of the best novels, and I was like, "Have I read? The, oh yeah, I've read all these and wrote those down." But also went through my bookshelves and went, "Oh yeah, no, that one's on there." And of course, Ring would be on there. And so there was a bunch that that I went through that way. And Ring definitely made my short list, just didn't make the the final list. So, oh, fair enough. Yeah. So that's my number five, the Ring series. So the first one essentially is Ring by Koji Suzuki. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I like how we went from Lord of the Rings to Ring. It seemed yep. very, very convenient. Uh, my the number Rings five are very is... different. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very, very, very true. Uh, my number five is the most recent addition to this list. Ooh. It is Three Day Road by Joseph Boyden. It's the one that I read ooh, within the last eight months. I can't yeah, remember I was, exactly when I read it. I was going to say, but... I vaguely remember you talking about this on a What We're Up To. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say I probably talked about it in like our August or October, What We're Up To. Anyway, yeah. Three Day Road is about indigenous Canadian man who goes over to fight in world war one for canada um and so the book kind of cuts back between his time in the shit and him home now addicted to morphine and his aunt has come to pick him up to take him back to their their little village um the three-day road is basically it's a three-day canoe to upstream to where they where they live and he has basically resigned himself to the fact that he's going to die because he's addicted to morphine and he's running out of his supply. Right. Um, it is it is a phenomenal read. The description of what happened in the war and the trench warfare is remarkable. And I mean, they were like uh, Boyden. He kind of touches on all the different major battles that the Canadians dealt with, like uh, Ypres and the Somme and Vimy Ridge and all those big ones, like the, the chlorine gas and the, the, the victory at Vimy Ridge and all these different things. And like he, the description of what happened and like the, the trenches and the muck and the, you know, the, the trench foot that they were dealing with. And it's just, it, it is very well described. Um, it's a very compelling read. I, I plowed through this one. I think I read it in about five days or a week or something like that because I just I couldn't st- it's one of those ones that I just couldn't put down 
Yeah, it's it's very very compelling. Uh, I've got a second one on my bookshelf that is kind of just working its way up through the queue. But it's one of those like I finished one of his and I didn't necessarily want to go right into his next one, but I feel like it's going to be making its way up soon. Again, not necessarily a happy book, but sure, a good book all the same. And you know, if 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 through Black Spruce is anything like Three Day Road, I'm very excited to read it. Huh. So yeah, Three Day Road. The author is Joseph Boyden. If you can, I had never heard of it until my dad recommended it to me. He 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 loved it, and like a few of my family members have read it, and I, so I I tried it. I'm like, yep, that was that was a good one. So yeah, that's my number five, Three Day Road. Cool. My number four is the Wind Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami. Okay. <laughs> Do you, does the name Haruki Murakami not mean anything to you? No, should it? Uh, he is perhaps one of the biggest novelists world lit novelists period uh his work has been translated into over 50 languages he has won a pile of awards including world fantasy the franz kafka the jerusalem prize uh he's won best novelist in japan several times uh, specifically for this book, he won the Yamayuri Literary Award. And he's also been working for like 30, 40 years? Cool. So maybe? <laughs> <laughs> so you could say he's somewhat celebrated as an author. Yeah, I would say okay. so. All right. <laughs> the Wind Up Bird Chronicle is my favorite of his that I have read so far. I'm still missing a few. Okay. Um, it is about a man named Toru Okada who is unemployed and is tasked by his wife, Kumiko, to find their missing cat. Okay. It's roughly 900 pages. Okay. Well, my version was, because I've got a fairly short and stubby one. I think it's more like six or seven, but still. Okay. Uh, So yeah, he he is tasked with finding the cat. That's, uh, That's what it's about. 900 pages of a man finding his cat. Trying to find his cat. I didn't say he Trying finds it. Trying to find his cat. That's fair. I do, uh, yep, you are right. I am I am just jumping to conclusions. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. I, I cannot, I don't want to say anything other than that because it's so much more than that, obviously, because there's a lot of pages there. Sure. And he does like an it's urban just, fantasy magical out. realist like style. Okay. So like he'll meet other people and then he'll he finds an abandoned house that has... Like a, an abandoned well in it, and it's empty, so it's dry. So then he starts using it as a place to kind of isolate himself to think and to remember stuff. Okay. And then the family starts looking into fortune tellers and clairvoyance to help find the cat. And then that brings more characters in, and these characters have different histories with either people, and his marriage starts to struggle a bit because the cat's still missing. Like there's huh. there's a lot going on here and it's beautifully written and it's it's a very excellent time and it has a climax to a book that I promise you you will not see coming. Okay, interesting. Uh so that is my number 4, The Wind-Up mm-hmm. Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami. Okay. Cool. Very easy to find. Mine- very easy to find. Okay. Uh my number 4 is my number four is It by Stephen King. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure any of our loyal listeners are surprised. In fact, there's two of my top four. I'm sure my any of our loyal listeners are like, yeah. Yeah. And? 
quite frankly, I'm a little surprised it's this low. Yeah, there's just a couple ahead of it that are just. Well, I look forward too, to it. I'm just like too good. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know um, what number one is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 it. I've read it a couple times now. Um, it's an 1,100-page Stephen King epic about clowns and spiders and coming of age and bullies and summer and just all the things that are so non-horror but then turn super goddamn creepy yep it's a it's a great read now there's also and we've talked about it before there's the whole orgy that is super weird and probably was unnecessary but stephen king was drugged out when he wrote it and you know that's it was a different time back then. It and makes a hundred percent sense. I have yeah. no qualms with it being there. I feel like it should be there in the sense of the novel. In the novel, it makes yeah. a bunch of sense. It's not gratuitous. Yeah. It's not exploitative. It's exactly yep. what it needs to be. Yeah, but the fact that it's not necessarily in the movies is not a, is not a bad thing. No, that's um, that's not missing. I'm not like, oh, I hated the movie. That's why it was so low in my top ten. It was like number five of the year or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. So it's uh, it's not bad. Uh, it it's 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 fantastic. I could have, you know, in all in all reality, I could have. Well, maybe I don't even know if I could, but I would consider doing a top ten Stephen King. I might need to read a few more, but uh, sure. it would easily rank in my my number one Stephen King. So if anybody asks us, spoiler alert to my number one Stephen King. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah it's, I'd, it's, I'd also have to read several. Because I've read some, yeah. but not probably not enough to do a 12. Yeah, I think that I'd be in the same case, so or in the same boat. But maybe maybe I'll do a, like a top five Stephen King on the the website or something. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll do that. So yeah, uh, it is my number. It's my number one Stephen King, but my number four uh, currently all time. I mean, these lists have a tendency to ebb and flow. And if I was to do this list a week from now, maybe it would be number two. But it's just today... When I was when I was finally fi- finalizing my my list, it's it's ranked at number four. So it Stephen King. Cool. I have to say, like hearing you say that, my top four are pretty much like something would have to beat it, but my top four are right. basically in their order as they are. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's that's fair. I mean, my top four would basically be my top four regardless. Just some days it depends on the mood I'm in. It might rank higher or lower, but I just. Uh, but I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, mine, yeah. Are, mine are locked in. Like, my number three, until something passes Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, Infinite mm-hmm. Jest is going to be number three for me. Yeah. I don't know if I should presume to try and describe this to anyone in a podcast <laughs> that can't take an hour and a half for just me talking about Infinite Jest. Dude, you've tried to explain it to me when we were hanging out in person when we had, like, four hours, and even still, it took a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it sure does. It's... There are... There are four interwoven narratives that take place in a future North American super state where Canada, the U.S., and Mexico have all joined together into what is essentially the Organization of North American Nations, or ONAN. And corporations have (laughs) been allowed to purchase the naming rights for calendar years. So the book takes place over nine years, from the year of the Whopper to the year of Glad. 
Okay. The four interlocking narratives, and just for simplicity's sake, as easy as I can make this, is there is a fringe group of Quebecois radicals, the wheelchair assassins, or les assassins de Fauteuil Roland, who plan a geopolitical coup and are opposed by high-level U.S.-based operatives. Residents in Boston who are addicted to drugs and who are entered like drug and alcohol recovery stuff, students training mm-hmm. at an elite tennis academy, and then a, a giant history of a family of one of the kids who is learning about tennis. It is mm-hmm. 1,100 pages plus endnotes. Some of the endnotes are 40 pages. <laughs> Uh-huh. And there are dozens of characters that you have to keep track of. Some of them don't use punctuation. Some of them just don't have paragraphs. Some pages are just lists. <laughs> and it just gives you this gigantic brick of a story. And it's awesome, but it's exhausting and difficult. <laughs> But I love it, and I will always love it. And it will be very, very hard to get into my top three because Infinite Jest is three. So that's Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Cool. That's uh, It's one of those ones, like, because it sounds amazing, and it sounds like one that I would love to read, but it also sounds like one that I would be so trepidatious about reading that I'm just like, oh, God, I don't know if I've got it in me. Like... You need an encyclopedia. You need a dictionary next to you at all times. You you will all like right. I I needed a yeah. dictionary next to me while I'm reading Crazy. it. Yeah. On the bright side, though, it is why I started to understand tennis because now I watch tennis and I'm like I get all of this. Thank you, Infinite Fair. Jest. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah, I knew that that one would be up there. I just wasn't sure where it would fall in, but sure. I, I figured it would be right around where it is. So I, as soon as you like, yeah, as soon as I, as soon as I found out, I was like, yep, that that does not surprise me whatsoever. Yeah, it's an encyclopedia right. of a novel, but it's awesome. <laughs> cool. <clears throat> uh, my number three is A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khaled Hosseini. Okay. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think yeah. you're pretty uh, close, actually. Yeah, same guy who wrote The Kite Runner. Yeah. Um, I have not read The Kite Runner, from what I understand. It's probably just as depressing. A Thousand Splendid Suns crushed me in the best possible way. Like, I got so invested in the characters that at one point, fairly early on in the book, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything that happened. Um, I'm not gonna spoil anything. But at one point, I was reading, and I was about. I don't know, 40 or 40 pages in, somewhere around there, not too far in, and something happened, and I was I was reading it, I was kind of supervising a show at the Pump House, and I was in the booth because it was like the one-act festival, and so I just had to be there in case they had questions, so I was like, well, I might as well read because they're just doing tech work right now. So I was sitting there, and I was reading it, and I got to that one section, and I closed my book down, and I, and I closed my book, and I set it down, and I just sat there and ruminated on what had just happened, like... It doesn't happen very often where I get so invested in a character that something like that, where something happens and I just like, I have to put it down because I can't, I have to digest it. Right. And then I went on to to read the end and like all through and I just loved the book and I 
bawled at the end. Again, I was so invested in the characters that I was, like, sobbing at the end because the writing was so good and the descriptions and you just learn to love these characters and you learn to 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 be with them through everything that they're that they're dealing with that that at that and that they're enduring so it basically it chronicles two characters essentially miriam and layla um they are different generations they are a generation apart but they end up being married to the same man for reasons that i'm not going to get into but basically this takes place in afghanistan through the rise of you know kind of the tail end of the i think the the soviet issue in in afghanistan and then like kind of through that era and then into the the rise of the taliban and everything that's happening with the you know with the 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 war in afghanistan (laughs) the soviet issue you mean yeah, that was, like weird little that that little snafu where they kind of invaded the country? Yeah. Oh, I didn't want to like. I, it's history, you know, though. Yes. That's not like that's not invented yeah. for the novel. No, I know. I just I I didn't want to like. I couldn't remember how. Shut up. Yes. It's anyway <laughs> the 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 little skirmish that the the Soviets and the Afghanistan had the Afghani's had. You know that little that little spat. Yeah, yeah. that thing kind of. Yeah, kind of right around there. Yeah, I, I know, I downplayed that, but, you know, that's that's what I do best, right? Anyway, yeah, and then it kind of follows through the rise of the Taliban and just the, you, you just see the the rights of women and just the, their safety kind of get, get dampened more and more and just trampled and just how hard it is to be a woman in that sort of, in that country and... Um, yeah, it was just, it was a very interesting read, very compelling, kind of very eye-opening, because obviously it wasn't historical, it wasn't a, a non-fiction, but it, at the same time, like, it was kind of chronicling that whole 30-year span, and just how shitty things got, and so while these, while Miriam and Layla weren't necessarily real characters, I feel like it was very accurate as to what women dealt with and are dealing with in Afghanistan, so it was just very eye-opening, and a hard read, but a very, very, very good read. Cool. Um, yeah, so that's A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khaled Hosseini. Uh, my number two is yeah. completely different because I like having fun. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, so my number two is The Complete Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Mm-hmm. Have you read these, Dave? Not all of them. I read the first one. Oh, so you um, have really no idea what's happening. No. No. <laughs> so it's a a vast comedy science fiction series from the I believe it was oh no it did clock in a little bit in the 70s. So it went from the 70s to the 80s and then there's a a super new one that was released after Douglas Adams's death as well in 2009. Okay. But it's a broad narrative following the well, essentially the, the misadventures of Dent, Arthur Dent. So Arthur Dent, a kind of schlubby Englishman who, th- thanks to just kind of being a nice guy and sheer circumstance, is saved by an alien named Ford Prefect who writes for a travel guide to the universe called the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. When a Vogon spacecraft, a, essentially a constructor fleet by the Vogons, is going to destroy Earth to make a intergalactic hyperspace bypass. So it's basically just a random, the normalist English man possible 
being thrust into experiencing the craziness of the galaxy as one of only two humans left in existence. Um, so most of it's with him and mm. Ford Prefect. Uh, his name is Ford Prefect because he came to Earth to try and experience what Earth would be like to update the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, but he mistook cars for the the like dominant species of the planet because there's more of them than people. So that's why he's named Ford Prefect. Uh, but you also spend time with Marvin, the android who is incredibly depressed and paranoid. Zaphod Beeblebrox, who is a the two-headed cousin of Ford Prefect, but also the president of the galaxy. And Trillian, who was another human taken from Earth by Zaphod just to have a good time. There's a bunch of books. So Dave's read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is the first one. But then there's The Restaurant at the End of the Universe, Life, the Universe, and Everything, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, Mostly Harmus. There's And Another Thing. That's the most recent one. There's also some short stories tied in if you get the complete versions. If you're looking for ridiculous, fun, but also philosophical and very entertaining, uh, you can do much, much, much worse than The Hitchhiker's Guide for the Galaxy. It is still... This was my number one until I read my number one, and it is very hard to unseat it from number two at this point. I love The Hitchhiker's Guide. So that is my number two. Nice. My number two is Lord of the Flies by William Golding. Ah, yeah. Kate. Yeah. (laughs) Now it all makes sense, right? Now it makes sense. Although I still feel like I imagined it would be two, but yeah, enough. yeah. Uh, I read Lord of the Flies for the first time when I was in high school and just loved it. And since like uh, it's kind of not, I, I don't want to say it's been an obsession of mine, but like I almost got a chance to design a production of it at at university. It it, it was on the shortlist as far as what my thesis show would have been. Oh yeah. Um, and so, like, it's just been kind of there. It's one of those ones that is on my bucket list of, of plays to design. But the, the the concept of it is amazing. The 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 story is so good. So basically, it's about a bunch of school-age boys who end up getting shipwrecked on a deserted island. And they end up... They, they have to survive. And um, they have different... You know, they, they start off as one unit... And they're trying to find a way to, to work cohesively together. But as most societies, things break down and, you know, egos get into get in the way. And so people can't handle who's in charge. And so they break off into their own faction. And then there's warring, warring sides. And basically, it's looking at the human race and just how we can't get along from the eyes of kids. And it's just remarkable how human nature just evolves that way and at a certain point you know it doesn't matter if you're 10 years old or 40 years old eventually it appears as though you're just going to end up going to war with somebody so it's it's a really great uh book it spawned an amazing simpsons episode in dos bus yeah uh and then and then that like as with in the novel the simpsons episode everybody's just like saved off the island by uh, i don't know mo Exactly. Like, and that's to not to spoil it, but I mean, it's a it's a fairly old book. But yeah, essentially, somebody comes right at the end. It's just like, and we're we're off the island. Cool. It's like, oh, well, they get saved, and it's basically a mo like character. So, yep. Um, 
yeah, I've read it a couple times. I love the I love the book. I love the script. I just love the story. I've I I haven't watched the movie. Like I started watching it once, but it was before PBRs, and so I had to leave, so I couldn't watch uh, it. Yeah, yeah. But it's one of those ones where it when if if and when it comes on something like TCM, I'll PBR it and watch it again because you know I just dig the I dig the story enough. So um, yeah, it's Lord of the Flies. It's my number my number two, William Golding. Cool. Yeah, I, I can't... Th- oh, either late middle school or early high school is when I read that. Yeah, I want to say it was like two grade 10? Grade, some, grade 10 or grade 11. It was one of those ones like... There was a, a not a required reading list, but like these are books that you should read if you're in high school. And as I loved reading, I was just... This wasn't part of our class assignment. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to watch this one. Or I'm gonna read this one, and so I just read it on a whim and loved it. So no, fair enough. Yeah, my number one, mm-hmm. perhaps the more surprising of the two number ones. Yeah. So it's kind of a shame I, I had to go, but I yeah. know. Yeah. It's if on a winter's night a traveler by Italo Calvino. It is, mm-hmm. and I think this is a fun piece of Sean trivia. It is a novel from 1979. The same year as Sean's favorite movie, 1979. There you go. Good year for Sean. (laughs) It's going to be our year. It is a postmodernist novel, uh, and it is about you trying to read If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. Uh... (laughs) Our number ones are so different. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) I I dare to say mine is much more fun. I would think so. I can't even argue that. I haven't read it, so I can't say for sure, but I'm just look. I'm going, yeah, it sounds like yours is much more fun. Yeah. It has to be. If it's that tongue-in-cheek that it's like, it, it, it is defying convention and breaking that fourth wall and basically saying, like, it is talking, addressing the reader itself. Yes. It has to be. It's, it is so, so ridiculous. But at the same time, there's a lot more to it than that. There are each chapter is divided into two different sections, and the first section is in second person describing your process and you, as in you, the listener, if you're reading this book, or you, Dave, or you being me, mm-hmm. trying to read the next chapter in If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. Then the second half of that chapter is reading a book that you found that you think might be the next chapter in If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. And you're like, oh, crap. And then at the end of the chapter, sometimes you'll just be like, well, that none of those characters were the same. That obviously wasn't the next chapter in If on a Winter's Night the Traveler. You're like, I know that totally wasn't. It does sound pretty awesome. I love this book. I love this book so, so, so much. I have read it, I think, four or five times. And I, I read it for the first time probably six or seven years ago. And every okay. once in a while, I just, I pick it up again, and I'm just like, yep, I am going to read If on a Winter's Night a Traveler, and then I open the book, and it's like, you are sitting down to read If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. I'm like, uh-huh, I am. <laughs> Thanks, book. <laughs> that's that's pretty fantastic. Uh, traveler. How many pages is it, roughly? Oh, it's not very long. 300, maybe? Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So the shortest of the three on your top three. Oh, definitely. I mean, if you 
Because yeah, yeah. if, if I'm talking about the whole Hitchhiker's Guide, that's 900 yeah, to 1,000 exactly. pages. No, if If yeah, on a Winter's Night so. is is something that you could easily read in a weekend. And in fact, it cool. actually does bring that up. Oh, of course it does. Why wouldn't it? <laughs> God, I love that book so much. I just um, appreciate that, like, somebody can come up with a concept like that and write this book and know where it's going, despite the fact that it doesn't feel like you know where it's going. Yeah, well, Italo Calvino is a, an excellent writer. I'm a very big fan of his. Invisible Cities is also okay. very good. Um, he wrote essays. He did, like, short fiction as well. And all of it is very, very interesting and very postmodern. <laughs> interesting. So, that is my number one. Hmm. If on a Winter's Night a Traveler cool. by Italo Calvino. Nice. My number one is The Client by John Grisham. Okay. Describe <laughs> The Client by John Grisham. Well, The Client by John Grisham is a guy who is is uh, a kid who basically he and his brother are going and smoking on the riverbank. And this guy comes up and is essentially trying to kill himself by, by suffocating himself in his own car. And so this character keeps pulling the, the, the hose out of the car. And so eventually this guy does kill himself, but not before telling this kid where this dead body is found. Um, and so he basically has to hire a lawyer to defend himself or to basically protect himself. So that way he knows he's not going to die at the hands of the people who are trying to find this dead body. Which is a mafia story. Um, yeah. You kind of danced around Actually, the fact that it's mafia and FBI stuff. But yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's the the basic gist. I wasn't expecting you to make me describe it, but I also wanted to prove that I could because I do like the book. Uh, it's on my bookshelf. I just happened to look over it because I'm like, well, I need to come up with one that's not actually my number one. Um, my actual number one, to nobody's surprise, is To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Yeah. That has been since the first time I read it. I expect that there is nothing that will ever take its place it has just entrenched itself in that number one position that's Um, fair like and and it could like your favorite book was was um uh hitchhikers for the longest time it could very well be that i find something that i love more than to kill a mockingbird it's just it is gonna take something heavy duty to uh to upset the the apple cart as far as my number one goes but it's about a, a lawyer who takes on a case a lawyer in uh, like 1930s Alabama who takes on a case defending a black man. Um, the black man is charged for rape and we are trying to decide whether or not he did it and that's it's about equality and civil rights and just not judging a person by the color of their skin but it does not teach you how to kill a mockingbird. Yeah, which is so. really why it never makes my list. Like, it gave me no <laughs> beneficial tips on how to kill mockingbirds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I've talked about it ad nauseum. Um, my dogs, even, what was that, last, last week? Last week we talked we about, talked no, about... two weeks ago. Two weeks, because last two week weeks was me ago? and Jeremy. So two weeks ago we talked right. about Atticus yeah. Touchdown. <laughs> yeah. And Ham. Because of my love of the book. Yeah, and Ham. So... It comes up on a somewhat regular basis. So yeah. if anybody who has listened to the podcast and with any regularity at all is surprised by this, okay, but anybody who is surprised because this is their first podcast, welcome and thanks for listening. 
So, yeah. yeah. My number one, To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee, to nobody's surprise. Uh, okay. I've, I've, we've talked about this book and this story so many times on this podcast, and you just described it very, very well. I don't really have anything to add, other than the fact that you didn't mention yeah. Boo Radley once, and that makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, Boo Radley is, you know, he's he's that that character that nobody ever sees. He's just, like, he's a phantom, essentially, and he's the he's the thing of legends in the in the neighborhood, and everybody tells stories about Boo, and nobody actually knows him or anything like that, and he's just this this freaky person that everybody's afraid of, and, um, you know, to the point that the kids play, when they're, when they're playing, like, they're doing plays in their backyard, they do plays about Boo Radley, because he is such a, a, a legend in the town, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess that's it. You, Mr. and Miss Internet, are the lifeblood of our podcast, and we just want to answer your questions or just have a good old chat. Do you want to talk to us on Twitter? I can be found at David Ron, that's Ron with two N's. Sean is at Sean Cord, that's Sean with a U, and we are at Guys from Podcast. You can email us at guysfrompodcast at gmail.com, Facebook us at The Guys From, or, and I'm sure you probably know where I'm going with this, write a book and ask us a question in the book. But don't just make it super obvious. Try being slightly subtle. Say, like, write down the first word of your question on every new page. So, like, page one is hey, page two is guys, page three is why, etc., etc. Obviously, there's going to be more than just those things, but, like, make sure that each new page starts with the new word of your question. So, eventually, it would be like, hey, guys, why are snakes so creepy? But that would be on, you know, the first six or seven pages. It's a less in-your-face way of asking a question and making sure that we have to decipher it and also have to read it beyond just the first line. So try doing something like that. I, that seems like a lot of work, but... Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. If you enjoy the Guys From Podcast, tell anyone you can any way you can. And the best thing you can do to help us get the word out there is to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this podcast. We are available pretty much everywhere podcasts are found, including Pocket Casts, Player FM, the Blueberry app, Stitcher, Podbean, you name it. We're probably there. If we're not, let me know and I will fix it. Hey Dave, is there anything you wanted to plug? I was going to talk about it in the top 10, but I wasn't sure if we could consider it a novel. So I'm going to recommend now that you read The Rum Diary by Hunter S. Thompson. It's kind of a novel, but could also be considered nonfiction, so I don't know exactly where to slot it. So I figured this is as good a place as any. Anyway, it's about him drinking, or about him as a young reporter in San Juan, Puerto Rico. It's really good and makes me want to drink rum on a beach. Sean? On our website, www.theguysfrom.com, aside from hosting this bibliophile podcast, we also write articles on things like music. That's indie music every weekday. Throwback tracks on Thursday. Movies. The Simpsons. Maybe we'll talk about South Park at some point. But I feel like Dave doing a top five Stephen King novels is much, much more likely. Could very well be. And if I were to do it, where would they find that again? www.theguysfrom.com Aw, yeah. For more pop culture horror goodness, head to Instagram and check out at the dark half. It's basically what I used to do for iHorror, but now I'm doing it for myself. And also, as I do every time we do lists like this, 
why not read one of these books we really like? Both of our lists are actually quite easy to find, especially if you use Amazon, and because so many of mine are old as well, you'd be able to find them either on Kindle or maybe in a used bookstore. Why not read some stuff? <laughs> yeah. Special thanks to The Sweets for our terrific opening music. Check out their website at www.wearethesweets.com. And as usual, special thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for our takeout music, as well as, oh, sorry, our takeout music called Fearless First, as well as today's ad music called Rainbow. This has been episode 211 of the Guys from Podcast. A 2111, a 211. Thanks for listening. Once again, I'm Sean. And I'm Dave. Have a great week, everybody. The Guys from Podcast is brought to you in part by nothing. Nothing but paper cuts. So many paper cuts. Ah, the bane of reading existence. Yep. <laughs>